I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. Don't forget, on Friday, we'll have part three of our new series, The Sunday Shows at 50. This week, it's on the record. Jonathan Dimbleby, John Humphreys, David Aronovich, Tony Blair. If you remember it, you'll remember The Crocodile. We'll talk about The Crocodile, too, from the on the record uh, opening credits. That's part three of our series, The Sunday Shows at 50. You can go back and find parts one and two, Weekend World and Breakfast with Frost. Uh, just scroll back through your your red box podcast feet right coming up on today's episode it's wednesday so it must be pmq's unpacked patrick mcguire joins me to pause the action live from the house of commons to analyze in real time the exchanges between keir starmer and boris johnson that's coming up in just a moment but first as ever we kick off with our columnist panel on a wednesday it is ali burt it is alice thompson and robert crampton Let's talk about, um, I mean, it is Ukraine, but it, your column today, Alice, because you've been talking particularly about the role of women in the conflict. Well, it's rather extraordinary with Ukrainian women because I think it, women have always fought in war um, in, and they've been forced to, but not in the numbers that they are now doing in Ukraine. And there are two million more women than men in Ukraine. So it really makes a difference. And it's rather I was amazed by that. Yes, I couldn't quite work out how that had happened, but it's true. And it was actually the, the president's are... wife... Um, yes, the men are working abroad, presumably. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yes, I think That's some of them. So Elena Zelensky yeah. said it, the president's wife, who's rather extraordinary. She's gathered all these women together and they've got the most phenomenally tough outlook, these women. And they post these incredible images of themselves with their Kalashnikovs and standing there and threatening and talking about how we're going to hound you out and shoot you down. And yet, you know, a few days earlier, they'd all gone, you know, to the borders and dro- dropped off their children, almost like they were dropping them off at nursery schools. That's, yeah. that's what felt so bizarre. And I hadn't realised, because it was obviously um, focused on uh, the president, you know, and he was speaking in the comments yesterday in his social media. It wasn't until I read your comment, I was aware that, she, that his wife was playing such a big part as well. Well, she's a scriptwriter, yeah. and um, I think she didn't really want him to become president, Elena. So she, she, you know, she actually rather liked their life, and then he became president. And now she's really stalwart. She won't leave. She's got her two children in Kiev with her. And she has, you know, gone from being on the cover of, you know, Ukrainian Vogue to giving tips about how to actually, you know, put bullets into your gun. I mean, it is really phenomenal. She's she's just gone for it. And her, her Instagram feed, which has, you know, two and a half million people following it, um, gives advice on, on if you're not going to flee, how you're going to, you know, how you are actually going to protect your country. It's amazing, isn't it, Robert? It's a long, it is. it's a long I mean, way from Carrie and her interior designer. Yeah, yes. I mean... 
as I says, women have uh, always had a, that right. Some of the most effective snipers at Stalingrad were, were women. Uh, a friend of mine in the army says it's always easier. Women have better shots than men because they're calmer and they listen to uh, instructions. And men are always I like think, that. That's men always think they should naturally be able to shoot a rifle for some reason, but women have... So, well, no, having, you know, having, I think, once shot a gun before, yeah. I can confirm it is not natural. It's not, it's not, it's but, not, it doesn't come with... Just but this is different. It. I mean, 23% in the, uh, the, armed, uh, the Ukrainian armed forces is women. And there is no reason why gender should be the sole determinant of whether you're going yeah. to be any use in a conflict. I mean, I felt a bit sorry for some when the men, 16 to 60 couldn't leave. And some of those men will be uh, a hindrance. They yeah. won't be any good, you know. And some of the women who are leaving with the kids would be very effective. So it seemed to me uh, rather old school, that, that directive. Well, uh, and actually, because I knew about that direct, you know, the women, yeah. get the women and children out, but the men have to stay. That's what was so, I felt was, you know, was a good counterpoint about your yeah. col- columns because we were reminded that actually there are still lots of women there and they really are fighting for yeah, their country. And, the, and not just the yeah. ones without children, but yeah. ones that, the ones they, with children yeah. of the kind of, like you say, the What's extraordinary is that the, the Russians actually, is, it's the comparison with the Russians where they don't have, they have 4% yeah. of the army is yeah. women. And where also the, you know, President Putin's been trying very hard to get mm. rid of women in a lot of jobs. Yeah. And he's really cracked down on women. And so actually what I rather like is the fact that Ukrainian women are going, huh, you've totally forgotten about us. We're over half the population and we're fighting back. And that could be your problem. You haven't done the maths. It's like, yeah, and it's, all those stories. The the because there was the one that you mentioned about the the woman with the frying pan. Only oh, no, you had the pickle jar, mm. the pickle jar as well. The the the, the woman who was supposedly brought down a, a drone with a jar of cucumbers, which was actually a tomato kind of, a can of tomatoes, which yeah. was actually that. And that's what's extraordinary as well is they're chronicling all this. So you've yeah. got all the female yeah. MPs, and they're eighty seven of them. They're all staying, and they're they're telling these stories, and they're showing the pictures of women fighting back and every time someone dies or a child dies it's always up there they're they're really involved in it and also they're great logistically so i think i would be mm. really useless at fighting but i'm quite good with a list and colored pens and i <laughs> you know, i would quite like that side of it i could see that's that's what i would go back and do but also the thing that, that all what all of this demonstrates Robert, is that there is a sense of nationhood amongst the Ukrainians. Yes. The thing that that Putin perhaps hadn't... Yeah. You know, for whatever... He he denies it. Yeah, exactly. He he, he basically thinks that the people in Ukraine actually are deep down are Russian and they want to be back part of Russia. Yeah. This is clearly not the case. It's clearly not the case. And uh, as this is... I mean, this is another example of, you know, I mean, we didn't think Vladimir Putin was much of a feminist, did we? And now you've you've confirmed it with what you told me this morning, uh, that these are two countries going in opposite directions and uh we know which one we like uh so they're very much two countries and they're they're looking more different every day and the ukrainians certainly feel ukrainian uh i mean it's it's absurd for putin to say what he's saying i I suspect he really thinks they are different and they are a uh, a bad example to my own people on yeah. my doorstep. I mean, Whereas we think they're more and more similar. There was that, that 27-year-old woman who was killed trying mm. to get dog food yes, right. to mm. a shelter. That that just felt very British as well, didn't mm. it? That sense. And you could see people like, well, you know. And, and I think we've become more and more involved um, just because you see on Twitter and you talk to these people and, and you know, I've interviewed quite a few of them now and they, 
they just you can imagine their lives, and that's what's so fundamental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because uh, there was um, a family that Breakfast had been speaking to, and Sonia they heard from yesterday was talking about how they'd had to leave their dogs at she home. She was phenomenal, mm. wasn't she? And it does. It's sort of it's sort of it is ridiculous. I was talking. I was talking. Once to, a yeah. dog gets involved, you I was like, talking, you have an emotional. Problem. I was talking to Roger Boys, who's just been yeah. a diplomatic editor, who's just been on the. He was on the border last week, uh, and he uh, he said it's uh, it is that sort of that that parlour game of what would you take if your house was burning yeah. down. And they're playing it for real. And most people, it's a cat. <laughs> some dogs get left behind. Maybe they think dogs are much more self-sufficient. But you must have seen on the news yeah. the number of people carrying cats onto the uh, yeah. across the border and onto buses. So it's my views on cats are well known. I would yeah. definitely not be carting a cat around. I would. You see, if I was if your... I was playing that game, they, yeah, Tiger would Tiger would make the trip. Yeah. What about you, Alice? Yeah, well, we've got two dogs. We have got a puppy that I think that might be quite Probably complicated. Like but I think it. she may have to come. Yeah. Yeah. But then you need food, you know, and if you haven't got food for yourselves. But it's amazing you start sort of putting yourself in their position. Um, I shouldn't, can I do, I might, it might, it's worth adding that we shouldn't, it shouldn't be the case that just because people look a bit like us yeah. and are uh, in our kind of European culture that we care more about them. I'm not sure that is the case. Because uh, I know there's been some controversy over exactly. people saying, well, I know one guy got into trouble on the BBC, as, as he should have done, for saying, well, you these people are, are you know, blonde-haired and blue-eyed, like, uh, so, well, as if that mattered, yeah. you know? Uh, so... What you hope it, it does help makes, us. Yeah. It, it does help us identify, and undeniably, it does... I, I don't think it's a racist impulse yeah. to identify with people, people who are... Said, well, look at other comments, yeah, whether it's yeah. Iraq or Afghanistan or yeah. Sudan or whatever it might be. And I've covered quite a lot of yeah. the Ukraine, mm. the, the crisis but in Afghanistan over the years and, and the refugees, and it is really difficult, but you do identify, actually. I don't think... I don't think it is about the, the country. It's the familiar. So I always identified with the mothers who had young children in the refugee camps, wherever mm. it was, whether that was Tajikistan, mm. Iran, yeah. know, Afghanistan. It was it was the mothers who felt like me, who were trying to get away, who had a stroller and taken I... all the way across the you know the mountains. I and mean, that's the problem: is you just <laughs> I, instinctively. I, I, I did. I was in Bosnia thirty years ago, and I identified with the middle-aged guy, who, when it got to about eleven o'clock at night, uh, he was a Croat. His wife would. There was a Kalashnikov propped up in the corner, and his wife would nag him, saying, "Basically, it's your turn to go and uh, get on, you know, man the man the uh, the trench or the front line or whatever." And he just wanted to sit talking to the journalists and drinking sliver of it. <laughs> so I identified instinctively with him mm. because I thought that that would be me. It would, it, it would be, it'd be my wife Nicola would so be saying, "You know, hold on, on. Yeah, tap, tapping her wrist and saying, yeah, off you go." And I think actually maybe, and I think lots of people have gone through, you know, and people word it badly or you know say the wrong thing off the cuff on the table, but. Mm. I also think that actually maybe people seeing what's happening in Ukraine, that people have felt some guilt about not taking as much interest as they should have done in other things happening around the world. Yeah. But the fact is, it is happening on our continent, and that does That's make right. a that difference. That's right. It's the same with Bosnia. You could yeah. you, once you're over the channel, you could just drive. You can just yeah. drive there. But uh, I think I felt yeah. the same about Afghanistan. I think what's different in here is that they are so good, the Ukrainians, at yeah. using social media. Yeah. So it's it's incredibly immediate, and that's what other countries will begin to do. You hope and. And actually, it's the best use of Twitter and of Instagram. It's scene. interesting that, though, isn't it? The, 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 when we talk about Iraq and Afghanistan, we're talking about something 20 years ago. Mm. Mm. And the difference of social, you know, the use of social media is massive. And actually, we saw that a little bit in Syria when you started seeing those, yeah. you know, li- you know it, was being, it was being played out in live mm. videos, yeah. you know, the attacks and that sort of thing. It, and actually, the, you know, those reactions to the appalling use of chemical weapons and things in Syria... Mm was stronger because it was exactly like the sort of video you'd take at home yourself. Maybe it is social media which is the difference. 
I, I think, think it, yeah, I, I genuinely think I th- that that's what I feel as I look at it and you start scrolling and scrolling, you can't stop yourself. But yeah, I mean, it, it is actually good for us to see those images because I think they're much more raw and much more... Well, I think, yeah, I mean, it's the same. It's just a different... I mean, it's like the, the, the newsreel footage of, of Belson, isn't it, in, 19, in 45 yeah. or, or the, uh, the still photographs that came out of Vietnam in the 60s. I mean, that, they, were the, they, was the, they were the media, mediums, the media then, and it's social media now. Yeah, you know, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I it was CNN, the Iraq War, first Gulf War was CNN, wasn't it? That was the big... And that, uh, felt, that felt mm. very, you know, this is the broadcasters bringing you something from a long way away. Yes, and it Social did, yeah. media yes. makes it, you know... More immediate. More Although immediate. Jack Hill's, I thought, the, the mm. photograph he had yesterday on the front of the Times with the woman who was just covered in blue and mm. stitches. And Amazing, that, that photo. That still shocks you when you yeah, get yeah, a yeah. really brilliant professional photographer yeah. taking one image that sticks with you. And actually, years. sometimes, you know, because there's doom scrolling of Twitter, there's only so much of that you can do. Yeah. When you stop and take stock, and whether it's, you know, Catherine Philp or Anthony Lloyd, you know, those sort of... Yeah. Quite often it's focusing on one issue... Yeah. One, one incident. Yes, I mean, Anthony's very good at that. And yeah. Catherine did that yesterday, yeah, didn't yeah. she, in uh, Ip, 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 Ip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's extraordinary. Some of that reported does, does make it, it brings it alive because it's about the human beings rather than about, you know, numbers or, you know, convoys and all that, which can seem a sure. bit abstract. Yeah. Um, somebody's texting is not happy about mentioning cats. Apparently, it's really inappropriate uh, discussion to raise your irrational hatred. Oh, I think I'll discard whether or not it's rational. Oh, I thought it was having to go at me. They're having to go at you. No, it's having to go at me because I don't like cats. Apparently, it's really inappropriate for me to mention that because these people love their pets. I know they love their pets. I just don't like them. Um, But I wish them all the best with their cats and otherwise. Um, Talking people I don't like, John Burko. Um, I I mean, this this would have been a massive story. I mean, rightly so. It's been relegated because of um, uh, what's happening in Ukraine. But this would have been huge. The, the, the catalogue of his behaviour and his refusal to accept it. And we always knew and, it, and that was the problem, is that I think we, we've, we've always realised... Well, I went back, I wrote a column stories. about him mm. in, like, 2018, calling him a bully. And the fact that a former speaker, a speaker for 10 years, yeah. is now can't go into Parliament. Yeah. Amazing. And he's like, oh, I don't want to anyway. Yeah, or he said, I've got friends who could invite me in. And you think, in. actually, have you? And, and I think the problem, is, <laughs> I mean, the problem for me is I remember once going there for some event and he took everyone around his sort of fantastic apartment that he was totally obsessed by and he jumped mm. on. There's an extraordinary four-poster bed that he sort of rolled yeah. all over. And um, even then he was very anxious and I thought, actually, yeah. you know, this man must be a nightmare to work for. And he is. I mean, the fact that he sort of throws a mobile phone, I didn't know you could smash it to smithereens quite so easily that in front of someone when... You, you think this is meant to be a grown-up job. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. meant to be in... It's, pun, it's, a, it's not just a ceremonial role. Even if it was, you, know, you should yeah, be doing yeah. more. But it's basically it's, sort of chief executive of parliament. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. But that sort of behaviour, which we probably... I don't know, you, I've seen some examples of that when I first came into journalism. Maybe you did too, Alice. But that hasn't been acceptable for yeah, a long yeah. time. And, uh, you know, he's, he's had to be called out on it. He's and just, all of the examples of the, you know, Margaret Beckett saying... You know, it, well, that's the price. You know, when she tried to defend him previously, was well, while he, you know, he was right on Brexit, so he was, yeah. you know, let's turn a blind eye to what's going on. No, that's not good someone at no. Dawn Butler. I think at one point said that it was bullying not to give him a, a peerage. You know, no. and it was because lots of particularly Labour MPs and some Lib Dems too, because they agreed with him on trying to hold up the progress of Brexit. They were willing yeah. to turn a blind eye to all this stuff. It's amazing. And also, as what I find extraordinary is the indiscriminate. He just bullied everyone. I mean, you yeah. can't. You, it <laughs> was also, phenomenal, mm. wasn't it? That, you know, and he was, was he was accused part of the bullying. He was accused of doing impressions of people, <laughs> and he did impressions of people in response to the investigation, <laughs> while also yeah. insisting he wasn't a bully. Amazing. And also, whatever your views on Brexit, it was wrong, constitutionally wrong, to try and prevent it. Yeah, it, it was. It was. Yeah, it was. 
It's anti-democratic. What he was doing—it was doing. extremely unsavoury, and it made and it brought Parliament into, and it was, into disrepute. It, it was a real treat because he 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 um, abandoned years of conventions and he like mm. centuries of convention mm. to to, mm. to do something, and then complained that they'd abandoned years of convention by not giving him a yeah. period. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, conventions don't always last. Conventions yeah. don't always last. Uh, any ideas of jobs that John Burke should do? It's bad, isn't it? Because when, when something like that, you, got, you don't even have the sort of post-political career on on reality TV, and I mean that sort of starts to shut down, doesn't it? And yeah. the whole after dinner thing shuts down but people just think Ugh. yeah yeah so no i just think he should uh just go and, well he, he could actually crawl under a stone couldn't he well i have this <laughs> image he wouldn't of have him. to he wouldn't have to crawl he could walk upright under a stone i've got this image of him jumping on the bed so i kind of think he could go somewhere like john lewis and he could just be one of those people that just sells beds couldn't he and you could imagine him wandering Would around you buy a bed from him no well <laughs> <laughs> he'd be amusing wouldn't he <laughs> maybe a bed tester Children's bed tester. Yeah, bunks, bunk beds, yeah. And now I've been sizes, so I think that's what yeah. I'm saying. Oh, God, sizes, catist. I've been accused of today. Alice Thompson and Robert Crams, and then you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash times red box. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. Yes, a very good afternoon to you. It's Matt Chorley live on Times Radio and live on YouTube too. If you are watching on YouTube, share it. Tell your friends. Just go to YouTube, search Times Radio, and you can see Patrick and I. We've both got suits on today. We're both we're both leaving for pastures new, <laughs> maybe, aren't we? Maybe we're both in the running for the same job. Well, we're responding to the gravity of the moment with the sartorial I commitment it deserves. It's what it's what the it's what the people of Ukraine would want. Um, uh, so, what do we expect Boris Johnson to be challenged about by Keir Starmer? To some extent, it feels a little bit like the, the actual main event in the House of Commons is happening later. We've got Ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, making a comment statement at twelve thirty. After that, the Business Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng making a statement on 
oil imports. Um, where does Keir Starmer go, do you think? Well, notwithstanding the question of the question Quasi Kwarteng will face on oil and gas and the UK's future energy strategy more generally, I'd be surprised if Keir Starmer didn't make a point about the cost of living or, alternatively, what has the government been taking the most heat on uh, on the airwaves and in Parliament over the past two days, indeed from its own side. And we know Keir Starmer loves to punch a blue-on-blue inflicted bruise. Um, the refugee crisis and the uh, you know paltry numbers who have been admitted to the country through the ineptitude, accident and design of the Home Office. So... Either one of those themes would be a very fertile furrow to plough for Labour, I think. And I suppose it, because he, he tried to strike, uh, Keir Starmer tried to strike such a note of sort of consensus last week, actually the British domestic response actually gives him some space yeah, exactly. to pick up on failings, if you like, without looking like he's not four square behind the yeah. British he, he doesn't have the political bandwidth or capital, so that's certainly the assessment of the Labour leadership, to start quibbling over... Um, over foreign affairs, unless he's you know pledging they go further than the than the government, um, and but you're absolutely right that the domestic response has been left wanting, and also um, the ramifications of the conflict are raising questions about the government's competence to deal with Labour's bread and butter, which is the cost of living. Well, here we go then. Uh, we're ready for the first question. You're watching in Switzerland, Ottawa, in Canada, Plymouth. France, God, it's an international edition of PMQ's Unpacked right now. You can watch along on uh, the Times Radio YouTube channel. Let's go live to the House of Commons for question one from Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The typical energy bill is going up by £700 next month, and that's because of pressures before Russia invaded Ukraine. The Chancellor's solution? A forced £200 loan for every household paid back in mandatory instalments over five years. The big gamble behind that policy was that energy costs would drop quickly after a short spike. That bet now looks certain to fail. When will the Prime Minister force the Chancellor into a U-turn? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, my role from the Chancellor has set out plans to help families with energy costs, with unprecedented measures to abate uh, abate council tax by by £150, Mr Speaker, in addition uh, to all the other schemes uh, that we are putting forward. And I I can tell the House that, uh, yes, he's absolutely right. Uh, that we need to meet uh, the long-term impacts of the spike in, uh, in energy prices, and that's why I will be setting out an energy independence plan uh, for this country, Mr Speaker, in the course uh, of the next few days uh, to ensure that we undo some of the damage of previous decisions taken, uh, not least by the Labour government, to invest in, uh, not to in, not to, not to invest in nuclear, uh, Mr Speaker, and so, and so that we... So that, we prepare, so that we prepare our people uh, for the long term and with sustainable, cost-efficient energy supply. Well, let's just jump in there. There's quite a lot to, uh, to pick through. Keir Starmer clearly deciding that actually the way to go this week is you know, re- proper retail politics, money in people's pockets. This, this concern, um, it was a few weeks ago now that, that Rishi Sunak announced this plan uh, as energy bills were going up. Just explain what it was exactly that he was offering. He was offering a... <laughs> a rebate on people's energy bills, which was in fact uh, up to up to £200, um, uh, which was in fact a loan that would be repayable, so not really a rebate at all. The fascinating thing about the way Keir Starmer asked that question, the most telling 
uh, the telling framing of that question was, when is the PM going to force the Chancellor to do this? You know, teasing out that story that we hear so much of intermittently, the divisions between number 10 and number 11, their fundamental differences of worldview, the PM's status, big spending instincts, the Chancellor, um, dry as dust, fiscal orthodoxy, and never, when ministers are talking about the need for more defence spending, when you've got energy bills going through the roof and an acceptance in government that they're going to have to subsidise or insulate people from the um, from the worst effects of that, regardless of how. And again, on top of the existing cost of living crisis, it's a really tricky situation yeah, yeah, that's yeah. going to pull Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson in wildly different directions. And then in Boris Johnson's response, he says that he's going to be setting an energy independence plan in the course of the next few days. That makes it sound slightly... I thought it was a couple of weeks off, but it makes it sound slightly more intimate. Um, I mean, you might ask, and then it, well, he then went on to blame the Labour government uh, for failing to invest in nuclear power. You may ask, he's been Prime Minister now for two and a half years. The Conservatives have been in power for 12 years. Boasting now that you're going to do something about our reliance on Russia um, uh, for when it comes to our energy does seem a, a cynic might say that's a bit late in the day. Well, and of course, you know, there's been a huge amount of Tory backlash to the last nuclear power plant this government tried to open, or rather Theresa May's government gave approval to, Hinkley C, um, which was going to be built by the Chinese. And obviously for another set of geopolitical reasons, um, there was a huge backbench backlash to that and it was eventually put on ice. So it's a bit rum for Boris Johnson to say that, obviously it's a strategic choice government's, you know, the same story across Europe to move away from nuclear or not to invest in nuclear. But the fault lies with successive governments, not just new Labour. Yeah, which which were in power 12 years ago. Right, let's go back. Question number two from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I don't think the Prime Minister understands the mess he's in. Working families are facing a £700 spike in April. They won't even receive their £200 loan from the Chancellor until October. The wholesale price of oil and gas is now ballooning. So, by October, when the loan finally comes in, household bills are set to shoot up by another £1,000. It's a total mess. So I ask again, when is the Prime Minister going to force the Chancellor to U-turn? Prime Minister, Mr Speaker, if he's asking for the Chancellor to U-turn on the support that we're giving uh, to families and households, uh, I, I think that he's... I think that he's absolutely out of his mind. Uh, we, are, we, are, we, are going to, we are going to continue uh, to give people support throughout this difficult period, as we did throughout the coronavirus epidemic, Mr Speaker, uh, with unprecedented levels of, of support. We have a £200 discount on bills, £150 a non-repayable a reduction in uh, council tax, and £144 million extra to help councils support vulnerable families uh, with their energy bills. Uh, Altogether, Mr Speaker, there is a £20 billion package of financial help that we are giving the British people, and we will continue to do more. I think a U-turn, Mr Speaker, is the last thing we want. I I think dancing around the idea of a U-turn... There is something about Keir Starmer's question. He's not quite talking the language of the dog and duck. Why is he not saying, when are you going to help people who can't afford to put the lights on, rather than... When are you going to force the Chancellor into a U-turn, which feels like a Westminster... Yeah, it's slightly clever, clever. Oh, look at Rishi Sunak's approval ratings. Does anyone see that poll on Twitter yesterday? When, as you say, um, slightly more 
you know, more clippable for the six o'clock and ten o'clock bulletins. Although the question, an interesting question for Labour, right? In the same way that this crisis is giving Boris Johnson a huge amount of airtime, people are paying very close attention to this story, and we're seeing Boris Johnson's approval ratings rebound. Are Labour looking ahead to the weeks? And months ahead, where Rishi Sunak, if Boris Johnson is to be to be believed, there will get up and say, "Listen, I know your energy bills are going up, but don't worry, I'm back, Mister Furlow, to give you a you know five hundred quid check to see you through the worst of this." And it is it's two weeks today, isn't it? We get mm. the spring statement, so so we'll it may well be that he is working up a big a big you know one of those big responses, but there there were going to be big problems on the Tory back benches, the, the, piling up the debt for future generations. The, you know, the problem is that once in a generation, things seem to come around quite a lot. It was the pandemic and now it's the war in Ukraine. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there is a huge amount of uh, debate and discord over, you know, exactly one, how you pay for it or two, what we're paying for. Yeah. This question of energy independence, one person says fracking, the other says net zero. Um, it's going to tear the Tory party asunder again. Well, let's go. Uh, watch along. If you are watching along on YouTube, uh, let us know what you think of it so far, uh, as they say. Uh, go, just go to YouTube, search Times Radio, and you can see Patrick and I. Uh, somebody, who, who was it? Terry says, afternoon from Manchester. Why I watch these charlatans, I don't know. It can only be it to hear the voices of reason of Matt and Patrick. Oh. Terry, it's a bit early to be drinking. Thank anyways, you, nice you along. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Let's go back to the House of Commons. Question number three from Keir Starmer. <laughs> Mr Speaker, we'll see how long that position lasts. Uh, let me try and let me try and help the Prime Minister. Let me try and help the Prime Minister by coming at it from a different angle. Before Russia invaded Ukraine, North Sea oil and gas companies were making bumper profits. BP made £9.5 billion. Shell made £14 billion. In their own words, more money than they know what to do with. Since then, the international price of oil and gas has skyrocketed, and so will their profits. When will the Prime Minister admit he's got this badly wrong, put a windfall tax on those super profits, and use the money to cut household energy bills? Prime Minister! Mr Speaker, the the, the net result of that would simply be to see the oil companies uh, put their prices up yet higher, uh, Mr Speaker. And Mr Speaker, make it more difficult for them to do what we need them to do, and which I think, by the way, Mr Speaker, they are doing very responsibly at the moment, and that is divesting from dependence on Russian oil and gas. And, and that, is the, that is the way forward for this country. It is to take, it is to take a sober, responsible approach, uh, end our dependence on, on, on hydrocarbons altogether, and particularly Russian hydrocarbons. And we are taking steps to rectify some of the mistakes made by the Labour government and have a long-term, sustainable, independent energy supply policy. That's what this country needs. <laughs> Reversing the mistakes of the Labour government from 12 years ago. Uh, the, you touched on it briefly, Patrick, but there is this emerging issue, political issue on the right. Nigel Farage at the weekend calling for a referendum on net zero. Mm-hmm claiming that we, we've never had a public debate about it, despite it being one of the top six policies on the front of the Tory party manifesto in 2019, which he didn't oppose because he stood down all his candidates in Tory-held seats. But there is a, there is a sort of wing on the right uh, w- trying to turn this into the sort of new Brexit. Yeah, and it's as you say, it's the same ensemble cast yeah. of characters. You've got Steve Baker, um, you know, again, 
one of the leaders of the net zero scrutiny group, Steve Baker, has uh, has more uh, you know ginger groups in the Tory party than either of us have had. Uh, expensive lunches on uh, <laughs> News UK's dime, which is uh, which plenty. is well, which is plenty. You know the Net Zero Scrutiny Group. That you know uh, he's they're leading the calls to reopen fracking in this country. But at the same time, uh, you have uh, an interesting split in Scotland where you have some MPs who want to drill oil and gas. Some people saying, look, the long term future is net zero, and you know it's one of the, it's one of these issues that has sort of crept up on people. Um, it always looks slightly eccentric. You know, people have been agitating for a, ne- a referendum on net zero for a while now, but only now does it have a little bit of bite. And the worrying thing, you know, when Nigel Farage is the outrider for one of these issues, is Tory MPs on the back benches and their, their votes are all worth the same. Will sit up and listen, and that's what's happening. That's that's the worry for the Prime Minister. Yeah, and uh, and that and that you know when he's got little pockets of MPs worried about lots of things. This is another one to throw into the mix. Uh, but let's go back. This is what, question number four? This is Keir Starmer in the House of Commons. Protecting energy profits, not working people. Doesn't that say it all? Britain... Britain can't... Britain can't afford another crisis like this. We need to improve our long-term energy security. That starts, that starts with supporting new nuclear and renewables. But the Conservatives have effectively banned new onshore wind. As a direct result of this short-sighted approach, we're using more gas every year than we import from Russia. That's ludicrous. So will the Prime Minister relax planning laws, end the block on onshore wind and stop supporting policies that make us so dependent on foreign gas. Prime Minister, Mr. Speaker, it's thanks to the it's thanks to the policies that this government has pursued uh, that we actually only are dependent on uh, Russian gas for three percent of our gas needs. Unlike unlike virtually every other European country, Mr. Speaker, it's thanks to the massive investment that we've had in renewables, Mr. Speaker, uh, that we are the, the as I've said many times in this house, the Saudi Arabia of wind power, producer of more offshore wind uh, than virtually any other country in the world, Mr. Speaker. And I'm, I, I think he just, by the way, I think he just committed to supporting, this may be news to some of his party, but he just committed to supporting more nuclear power. There's a certain amount of uh, bafflement on the front of the Labour bench there. Those were the people, Mr Speaker, who cancelled our nuclear efforts uh, in, in the time they were in power. They did completely the wrong thing. I'm delighted to welcome them now into the fold. Sinchez, just explain, Patrick, why Boris Johnson is trying to sort of needle the Labour Party over, over nuclear, because it's not, it's not universally supported, is it? No. Uh, and, you know, on the left, it's always been controversial. Uh, you know, all things nuclear. Um, it was a big... Uh, and obviously, Keir Starmer is of this uh, of this ideological sort of persuasion, or at least was a very long time ago, the sort of uh, anti-nuclear wing of uh, the left. It's interesting, though, Keir Starmer clearly hasn't been reading his Times this morning as a devoted Times reader, uh, criticising the government for not considering rejuvenating onshore wind, which is actually something under consideration in number 10. Um, but it's, it, is, it is certainly interesting to see, you know, it's one of these 
cons- polit- decades of political consensus is turning on a sixpence. You know, for decades, nuclear was unfashionable, was people were worried that it was, it was unsafe, you know, Sellafield, um, Chernobyl, Fukushima. And now, almost immediately in Germany here, it's the, it's the future. It's interesting. If you just sort of, sort of find evidence of, of why uh, Boris Johnson's so cross, um, June twenty June two thousand and six, Gordon Brown has given a clear signal that he supports the building of new nuclear power stations. In, in an article in the Times, he said the government was set to demonstrate its flexibility in key policy areas such as energy, including new energy. I've, I seem to remember that the, the Labour government got into it. It was also to do with the process of a consultation. That's what they all got knotted up, and it all ended up in the as courts. these things invariably were under yeah. New Labour. Um, uh, and it seemed as if the government had made a decision before the consultation came out. So it was a sort of technical point rather than an ideological, yeah, yeah. ideological one. But, uh, yeah. but clearly there, there, there'll be MPs behind Keir Starmer who are very queasy and uneasy about the prospect of nuclear power. It'll be interesting to see whether geopolitical considerations and you know, rail politique trump that. Um, or whether it's very interesting to, to hear him talk about that ra- rather than renewables first. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And I, I suppose it's, it's everyone real, realizes that it's all part of the mix, isn't it? We're going to need all of it if we're going to massively reduce our um, our, our reliance on on imported, you know, whether it's carbon or not. Right, let's go back then to the House of Commons. This is question number five from Keir Starmer. Uh, come off it, Labour is pro nuclear. This Prime Minister can't get a single brick laid of a new nuclear plant. (laughs) Energy security isn't just about supply, it's also about reducing demand. Our housing stock is the least efficient in Europe. That's why Labour set out a plan to upgrade the 19 million British homes that desperately need it within a decade saving families £400 on their energy bill and cutting UK gas imports by 15%. Whereas all the government have is a failed policy. Taking all their announcements together, it will take 75 years to deliver the upgrades that we need. That's a lifetime when we need urgent action. When is the Prime Minister going to get on with it? Prime Minister, well, Mr. Speaker, I just, I just remind the House that under the, uh, the Labour government, uh, our nuclear output fell from, I think, about 25% uh, to about 10% of, of, our, of, our, of our energy needs. And as, as, as I recall, it was because of the decisions that they took. We're now going to rectify it, Mr. Speaker, and we're helping households. He asked about the cost of energy bills. We're helping households with the cost of energy bills to the tune of 9.1% billion pounds. Now, why can this government afford to do that? Why can we afford to put huge quantities of taxpayers' money into supporting households and their energy costs? I'll tell you why, Mr Speaker. It's because we've got the fastest growth in the G7. And don't forget that if we'd listened to Captain Hindsight, uh, we'd have stayed in lockdown and we'd have never achieved it, Mr Speaker. Oh, I'm disappointed to get the European... Lockdown. God, European... even in wartime, Boris Johnson is using that hardy perennial. I'm disappointed to get the European Medicines Agency. That would have completed the full... Or Sue Gray. Sue Gray will make a decision on whether how quickly we transition to net zero. Yeah, it's very much one for Sue Gray to, uh, to take care of. Um, uh, it, was a, it was a rubbish question from Keir Starmer, which elicited the same result, the same answer from Boris Johnson. Uh, more or less. <laughs> more or less. Um, uh, yeah, well, uh, let's not, let's not, we don't let's not dwell on it. Let's not dwell on it. Let's see if he's any better than question number six. 12 years in Pam, that's the best he can do. 
the Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian people, Mr. Speaker, the Ukrainian people are fighting for democracy. We must stand with them. That means taking the toughest possible measures against Putin. And let's be honest, there will be costs here at home. We can withstand those costs, and we must, by using a windfall tax to keep bills down for working people. By starting a new era of energy policy, never again at the mercy of a dictator. Supporting new nuclear after years of neglect. Sprinting on renewables, including onshore wind and an urgent national mission to upgrade homes, ending years of dither and delay. So why is the Prime Minister offering the same failed energy policy that cast us into the security crisis and allowed bills to rocket? Sorry, Prime Minister. I want to hear the answer, but also standing up is not going to catch my eye. In fact, it's got the opposite effect on me. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, what we are junking is the failed energy policies that left us without enough nuclear power, Mr Speaker. Uh, And what we are going to do is go forward with policies that allow this country uh, to be independent in our energy supply, uh, maximising renewables, Mr Speaker, making sure that we use transitional hydrocarbons and going for nuclear as well. As I say, I am overjoyed that Labour now seems to occupy uh, that position. Uh, But what we will also do, Mr Speaker, and and, and here he has been supportive, is make sure that as a House of Commons we work together to maintain our opposition to Vladimir Putin's vile war in, uh, in Ukraine. And there, together with the toughest possible economic sanctions, by maintaining our military support for the people of Ukraine, I have no doubt that though, he's, though there will be dark days ahead and difficult times, Mr Speaker, we will come through it stronger. And I have no doubt that Vladimir Putin will fail and we will succeed in restoring a sovereign and independent Ukraine. Well, that brings us to the end of the exchange between Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson. I've just been uh, looking at some statistics on electricity generation. Shall I share them with you, oh, Patrick? Because this, this, this is the stuff that people are here for. So, well, Boris Johnson talking about the collapse in, uh, in nuclear generation. So, between... Let's start... In, so, in 1990, we got 63 terawatt hours from nuclear. It rose to 85 in 2000. So, that you know, was during the... I suppose you could say that's during the tour years. Between 2000 and 2010, it fell from 85 to 62. Uh, and since it's, uh, since 2010, since the Conservatives have been in power, it has fallen from uh, 62 terawatt hours to 50 terawatt hours. Um, I mean, they, you know, they do take a long time to build. Uh, that's one thing that's worth pointing out. Um, actually, during that time, the big, one of the biggest changes is the uh, change in renewables. So back in 2000, we were getting 0.9 terawatt hours from renewables, uh, from wind and solar. That's now 88 so it's overtaken. It basically, it's back to what nuclear power was doing in 2000. Yeah, and experts say actually the quickest way to increase capacity um, at a canter is building onshore wind. And it's really interesting to hear a lack of resistance. You know, it's interesting. You know, this is nicher than niche, but Chris Heaton-Harris... That's what we're here for. ..the new-ish <laughs> chief whip, sat on uh, sat to Boris Johnson's right on the, on the, on the Treasury bench. Um, Boris Johnson talking about uh, building new onshore wind or chastising Keir, uh, Keir Starmer, chastising Boris Johnson for not considering you once or win. Not a, not a whimper of protest from Chris Heaton-Harris, a man who, uh, in the, what by-election was it, the Corby by-election in 2012, 
almost supported James Dellingpole's anti-wind farm candidacy. You know, it just shows you it, how politics has changed over the past decade. Uh, we, we've been through so much. David Cameron, the greenest government ever, um, hugging huskies. Then he wanted to get rid of all the green crap. They banned onshore wind. Now mm. that could be our could be our salvation. Um, one thing that uh, several people have noticed is that most of the cabinet sitting there on the front bench. Rishi Sunak. Uh, Where is he? Uh, Rishi Sunak. I understand he is in meetings all day. That's which, which rather blunts Keir Starmer's. Um, well-scripted line of attack, you think, actually, it comes back to the point about Keir Starmer. Fleetness of foot, yeah. not his strong suit. You'd surely say, oh, the division between the Chancellor and the Prime Minister is so wide, he's not even Where here. is he? Where yeah. is he? Yeah. I actually thought... You can't uh, even get him to turn up. Quite a good issue by Keir Starmer. Slightly Execution quite boringly poor. executed. Essentially, uh, interesting litmus test, though. So I was struck by, as much as we can leave at the time... It was a pretty rubbish question. Um, when he was talking about insulation, sort of, you know, his coming out as a member of Insulate Britain, gluing himself to the M25 moment, that's a Corbyn-era policy. You know, I'm sure you remember uh, Jeremy Corbyn's announcement of a Green Industrial Revolution Labour Conference 2018. I think of little else. <laughs> that's, what I, that's, what I, that's what I think about when I'm in bed. First thing I think about before I go to sleep, first thing when I wake up in the morning. Um, but, you know, that was a policy at the time not much cut through because it's, you know, couched in the language of environmentalism, et cetera, et cetera. And the question with net zero, and that's the question people like Steve Baker are prosecuting, is who's going to pay for it? Is the burden going to fall on households? Yeah, yeah. This We're seeing a really interesting moment here. Net zero friendly policies, green friendly policies are being couched as a way to lift the burden from households, the financial burden from households, rather than impose them. It's really fascinating. That's what Keir Starmer was getting at with the insulation question. Uh, but also there's a question of um, there's no good option yeah you know yes there is going to be a financial burden on the taxpayer if we go for renewables but that's to try and limit our our exposure exposure to to other things and actually it's a bit like and we'll talk in a second about why didn't uh keir starmer didn't go on the refugees thing but there's some political leadership here if if you had someone making the case and saying look there are no good options but this is what i'm going to do because i think it's the right thing to do rather than sort of hedging and uh you know get out and get out on the front foot on the refugees thing rather than being dragged there um, because you can, if you're the Prime Minister, you can shift public opinion. Boris Johnson is the great orator of our age, according to his supporters. It is possible to shift um, uh, public opinion. Uh, somebody did just ask a question about that, actually, on uh, on Twitter. Say, uh, Simon said, disappointed with the questions. I wanted a hard answer to resolve the Ukrainian uh, war refugee visa, visa issue now. It's a bit of a surprise you didn't do any questions on that, isn't it? You've got Pritchett Patel literally sitting there. Read out all of the... I did it at the beginning of the show. All the different um, U-turns and messes that she's... You know, pick fruit. Uh, we've got a centre opening in Calais. Actually, no, it's not. It's in Lille. There's quite a lot there to go at, isn't it? For the same reason that lots of people in government suspect that Pretty Patel is precisely the wrong minister to be handling this, and indeed why the government have just appointed a... Uh, special cross-departmental minister for Ukrainian refugees, Richard Harrington, is because the Home Office, in the words of one former advisor to this Home Secretary, exists to keep people out of the country. The Treasury exists not to give other departments money, and the Home Office exists to keep people out of the country. That's the way Priti Patel and civil servants in the Home Office, for better or worse, basically see their job. You saw that with Windrush, and you see it on on this. Um but also for the same reason, you one wonders whether Keir Starmer perhaps feels a little bit squeamish about standing at the dispatch box and essentially advocating um, open-door immigration. Um, now, that's clearly not what it is, and public opinion is well behind Ukrainian refugees and 
you know, clear majority of the public, according to YouGov poll for the Times earlier this week, believe the government should be letting more people in far more quickly. It wouldn't surprise me if Labour thought actually our strategic aims here, we're looking at what sort of party we want to look like to the public, or oh, better steer it's clear just a of question, that. Isn't it? God, it's just somebody do the right thing. Yeah, yeah well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. And, and that's the whole point. If you're the leader of the opposition or you're the prime minister, you can change public opinion. If you think it's the right thing, mount the case. Well, that's a, that's a criticism you do hear from uh, Labour MPs and indeed people around Keir Starmer is that they're a little, you know, some people are a little bit too willing to listen to what a target voter has to say. And then work backwards from that. There can be no and compromise. Is, you know, and we found this a couple of weeks ago. We did a focus group on Wednesday night. It was out of date by Thursday morning because the invasion had started. So, oh, you know, this is what goes down well in the Red Wall focus groups we did two years ago. We've moved well, on. Well, actually, people that. in the Red Wall and across the country are sat at home wanting to do more. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times. And it brings together the real life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.